Okay, welcome back to Equity Tutors, this is Amelia, and today we're going to be starting on a pretty big module, so it's Exchange and Transport. So the way that we're going to split this up um, is that we're going to do exchanging animals, exchanging plants, and transporting animals, transporting plants. And I want to start first just by discussing what do I mean by exchange and what do I mean by transport. So exchange, that is anything which involves a, an animal or plant exchanging any kind of substance with the environment. So whether that is uh, oxygen, carbon dioxide, nutrients, etc. And then in terms of transport, it is how are those substances that have been exchanged transported through the rest of the organism. So for example... The lungs are the, are the, is the location of exchange for gases in our bodies. So it's where we get oxygen. So that is where the exchange occurs. However, how is that oxygen then transported throughout the body? And that is what I mean by a transport system. And as you can imagine, that is very different in different species. And we're going to discuss some of those in more detail. So today we're going to be starting with exchange in animals and there are a couple examples we need to learn about. We need to learn about exchange, the exchange system in fish, insects and then finally in mammals. And in each case, as we always do, we want to relate the function of these different systems to the structure and in particular how these structures are specialized for their function. So these are specialized exchange surfaces. This is something that Lauren discussed with you a little bit last week. So how are those exchange surfaces in different organisms adapted for their roles? And this then relates to why multicellular organisms, bigger animals for example, require more specialized systems. So in the case of a single-celled organism, the substances can easily enter the cell as the distance that needs to be crossed is shorter. So for example, a bacteria, it's just a single cell, and as you learned from the last lesson, substances can move across the membrane in many different ways. However, in multicellular organisms, that distance is much larger. So think of the distance of your lungs to the air. There's a lot of other tissue and organs separating those two things. So the distance is much larger due to a higher surface area to volume ratio and as a result multicellular organisms require specialized exchange surfaces for efficient gas exchange of carbon dioxide and oxygen. So what are features of an efficient exchange surface? These include large surface area, a thin membrane on the cells within that exchange surface and what that then means is that there is a shorter distance for the gases or whatever has been exchanged to diffuse across and then also another factor which can improve the efficiency is to have a high concentration gradient. So what I mean by that is that say for example you're exchanging oxygen 
is that the source of the oxygen, for example, the air will have a much, much higher concentration of oxygen than where you want the oxygen to fuse to. So you've got a high concentration gradient. The differences between the two different areas is very high. Um, and those, these are all features which apply to exchange surface examples that we're going to discuss today. And the first example that we are going to discuss is the exchange surface system in fish. So let's talk about why fish may need a specialised gas exchange surface to begin with. So they have a small surface area to volume ratio. And then on top of that, they have an impermeable membrane as their skin. So think of fish skin is quite thick, is quite tough, so, so gases can't actually diffuse through their skin. So this means that they need a specialised gas exchange surface. And when we are talking about fish as an example here, we are talking specifically about bony fish. So bony fish have four pairs of gills. And I'm going to refer you to the first image for those of you listening. Um, those of you watching the video, uh, you can see it on uh, the video. But if you are listening, I always link the image files below. So as I said, they have four pairs of gills, each supported with an arch. So the image that I have here is just one pair of gills. You can see the arch in the middle. And then along each arch, there are multiple projections called filaments. So filament is the name of the whole structure. But each of those individual layers, each one is called the lamellae. So the stack of lamellae is a filament a pair of filaments connected to the gill arch. And you can see in this diagram here too that the blood vessels are running through that central area. And if you look at the second image, which is actually showing the whole fish, you can see those gill arches are facing upright into the um, animal, so they're all orientated the same way. So then when the water comes in, the water can actually flow through the filaments or the lamellae. Now, what is special about this system is that the blood and the water flow across the lamella go in opposite directions. So it's a counter-current direction. This ensures that there's a steep diffusion gradient across those filaments so that the maximum diffusion gradient is, is maintained across the filament. And you can see that here in the second image. So the water is flowing, indicated by the blue arrows, between the lamella. And then you can also see the direction of blood flow arising from the gill arch uh, in the red and the blue blood vessels. So where it's red, it's indicating oxygen-rich blood, and then on the right-hand side, oxygen-poor blood. So what you can see in this final image at the bottom of figure two is that the blood flow is coming from the right-to-left direction. So it's coming in pretty unoxygenated. So, for example, the oxygen level is 5%. So you can see that from blue to red, right to left. And then the water is coming in left to right, going from 100% oxygen to 15% oxygen. So as you can see, the unoxygenated blood flow 
where the, the lowest concentration of oxygen is in, encountering the lowest level of oxygen in the water, but the water level of oxygen is still higher, so you still get diffusion. And then as you go across, the amount of oxygen in the water is increasing, therefore the amount of oxygen in the blood will continue to increase. If you imagine that they were moving in the same direction, what you would get is an immediate diffusion, a lot of diffusion in one area of the blood vessel, but they would ultimately reach an equilibrium and you wouldn't get an exchange of oxygen over the entire surface. Now the second feature we need to know about in the fish is that the filaments feature in the lamella are kept open by the flow of water. What this means if the, is that if the fish is removed from the water and water is no longer flowing through the gills, the lamella will stick together and the fish can no longer survive. But obviously the fish can't keep its mouth open the whole time so it has a system of maintaining that flow of water across the gills while being able to open and close its mouth so the way this works is fish opens his mouth and this is followed by the lowering of the bottom of the mouth textbooks are going to refer to the mouth as the buccal cavity so the bottom of the mouth drops down the mouth is open and water flows in the fish then closes the mouth, causing the bottom of the, the mouth, so the buccal cavity flow, to raise, and that increases the pressure. This forces the water down over the, fil over the gill filaments because of the difference in pressure in the mouth and in the cavity where the gill filaments are. Now, the cavity where the gills are, is called the opecular cavity and this is covered by the operculum. So this is just like a flap on top of that cavity which can open and close. So I'm just going to go through that again but this I'm just going to use the words mouth and gills referring to the buccal and the opecular cavity just to make it easier but you do need to use these terms. So the fish's mouth opens letting water flow in and then finding the fish's mouth closed that forces the bottom of the mouth cavity to open changing the pressure so as you know the flow of liquids will go from high pressure to low pressure environments to ease the pressure in the high pressure environment so here what's going to happen when the fish's mouth closes that's going to increase the pressure in that cavity and force the water to flow to the cavity where the gills are. So down the pressure gradient. That then forces the water to flow over the gills. So I'll just go over that again and use the official terminology. Ventilation begins with the fish opening its mouth followed by lowering the flow of the buccal cavity. This enables water to flow in. Afterwards, the fish closes its mouth, causing the buccal cavity flow to raise, increasing the pressure. The water is forced over the gill filaments by the difference in pressure between the mouth cavity and the opecular cavity. The operculum acts as a valve and pump and lets water out and pumps it in. So the operculum is just the flap 
over the apical cavity that the water has to flow through. And also now let's just recap the structural aspects of this system which make it appropriate for exchange of substances. In this case, oxygen and carbon dioxide. So the gills have a large surface area. This is why we have multiple sets of gills stacked into these filaments. The lamellae have a large surface area. There are many of them. They have a thin membrane. And then finally, they maintain a maximum differential gradient of oxygen. So by having this counter flow, where the water is flowing in one direction, the um, blood is flowing in the other direction, is maintaining the maximum difference we can get between the level of oxygen in the water and the blood. And when you have a bigger difference in the concentration or the amount of oxygen in two different liquids, the diffusion will be greater. So the next example that we're going to go over is insects. So as I mentioned when I briefly discussed exchange and transport at the beginning, what are the differences between exchange and transport? Exchange is the place where the exchange of substances is occurring and then the transport element is how a organism moves those substances around the body from the site of exchange. Now, when we talk about insects, they do not have a transport system. So they do not have a way of transporting, for example, oxygen around the body. And therefore, the oxygen needs to be transported directly to the tissues undergoing respiration. What this means is that most of its body is capable of exchanging oxygen. And this is achieved by a structure known as spiracles. Spiracles are small openings, tubular-like in structure, um, similar to uh, the structure of a trachea or smaller tracheals, which we'll come move on to discuss when we talk about the lungs. And they physically run into the sides of the body of an insect so they can supply the whole body with gases. So gases, for example, oxygen, move in through the spiracles and carbon dioxide, for example, will move out through diffusion. So if we look at this first image showing an example of a spiracle, you can see the exoskeleton at the top, so that's going to be the outer shell of the insect. And then this little hole in the side of the exoskeleton leading into the body of the insect. So we call this a trachea, and then the smaller versions of the trachea within the spiracle is called a tracheole. And you may also notice that the tracheole here is leading to a muscle cell. And that is because mass transport can occur as a result of muscle contraction. So if you can imagine the tracheoles are connected to the muscle, if the muscle contracts, what that will do is move some of the air around within the trachea and the tracheoles. It is that simple. And additionally, Transport can also occur as a result of volume changes in the tracheoles. So similar as I was discussing with fish, um, transport of substances can also be dependent on gradients in pressure. So when there's different types of pressure in or volume changes in the tracheoles, that can result in transport along the different network of tracheoles within the exoskeleton of the insect. So now I want to move on to gas exchange in mammals. So this, of course, occurs in the lungs. 
So what I'm going to do in this lesson today is go through the structure of the lungs, the structure of the different parts of the lungs, how they are specialised for gas exchange. And then what we're going to do in next week's lesson is apply that knowledge and go over the process of ventilation and gas exchange. Furthermore, how we can measure that and use those measurements to give us an idea of someone's breathing patterns. So starting then with the lungs themselves and the structure of the lungs. So the lungs are a pair of lobed structures with a large surface area located in the chest cavity which are able to inflate. So you can imagine them to be like two balloons which are capable of inflating and deflating as air is moving in and out. So they are surrounded by the rib cage, which functions to protect the, lung, the lungs. And then the final component is the internal and external intercostal muscles between the ribs that allow the ribs to, to raise and lower respectively, giving the lungs more space to inflate and deflate as they need. We also have another structure called the diaphragm and that sits at the bottom of the lungs and separates the lungs from all the other organs in your abdomen and that can also rise and fall, allowing for more space in the chest cavity for the lungs to inflate and deflate. So now I'm just going to talk you through the structure of the lungs and all the different new terms, if they are new to you, that you need to learn. And I'm going to do that from the top of the trachea all the way down to the alveoli. And what I'll do is I'll follow the direction that the air would go as if you were breathing in. So as air enters through the nose, it moves along the trachea to the bronchi, onto the bronchioles, which are all structures well adapted to their role for enabling passage of air into the lungs. And we'll get to that in a moment. The bronchioles lead onto alveoli and these are tiny sacs, essentially mini little balloons, which are filled with air and this is where the gas exchange occurs. Okay, so let's break that down even more and talk more about the structure of all of those parts of the lungs. So the trachea, bronchi and bronchioles their function is to enable the flow of air into and out, to, out of the lungs. So the airways always need to be held open. You never want them to close. And this is achieved by rings of cartilage. This, of note, is incomplete in the trachea. And that is to allow for the passage of food down the esophagus, which sits behind the trachea. So you just want space for a little bit of movement there. But otherwise, the trachea and the bronchi are similar in structure with the exception of the size. So as you could imagine, the bronchi are narrower. So as you come from the trachea to the bronchi to the bronchioles, we're going to get narrower and narrower as we're reaching the alveoli. So they are composed of several layers, which together make up a thick wall. And the wall, as I said, is mostly composed of cartilage in the form of incomplete C-rings. The inside surface of the cartilage has a layer of glandular and connective tissue, elastic fibres, smooth muscle and blood vessels. And once again, I do have diagrams of these structures on the slides and if not linked below if you are listening to a podcast. 
So just to repeat, we have an inside surface of the cartilage. The inside surface of the cartilage is a layer of glandular connective tissue, elastic fibers, smooth muscle and blood vessels, and collectively these are referred to as the loose tissue. Now the inner lining is an epithelial layer composed of ciliated epithelium and goblet cells. Now remember so far we're just talking about the structure, we'll go on to specific functions of those cells for example in a second. But moving on to the bronchioles, so just looking at a picture of a bronchiole compared to the bronchus, the um, only large, the larger bronchioles in this example will contain cartilage, the smaller we go they may not contain any cartilage. And then wall is just then made out of smooth muscle and elastic fibres. The smallest of the bronchioles are reaching the very end have alveoli clusters at the end. This is more of a histology image finally and you can see that there is a basement membrane attached to the goblet cells with and which are ciliated. So the surface of the of the trachea, the bronchi and some of the bronchioles have um, cilia attached. So just to reiterate there are actually five different structures cell types within the lungs that we need to specifically know about their function, most of which I've already mentioned. So starting with the cartilage, as we said, the cartilage is present in the trachea and the bronchi, not in the bronchioles as they become smaller. And this is involved in supporting the trachea and the bronchi, keeping the airways open, preventing the lungs from collapsing, even in the, in the event of a, a reduction in pressure. So they are essentially structurally reinforced. So it's like uh, having a plastic straw over a paper straw. Paper straws can become weakened, they can collapse in on themselves. A plastic straw is more structural, structurally intact and will always stay open even if they get very wet, for example. The second structure that I want you to know about and specifically remember it's um, how it relates to the function of the lungs is the ciliated epithelium. So again this is present in the bronchi, the bronchioles and the trachea and this is involved in moving mucus along um, the airways to prevent lung infections by moving it towards the throat where it can be swallowed. Uh, third we have goblet cells. So these are present in the trachea, in the bronchi and the bronchioles and this involves mucus secretion to trap bacteria and dust to reduce the risk of infection. So similar situation to the ciliated cells. The ciliated cells often are intertwined with the goblet cells um, and this for example occurs when you have a cold or um, a chest infection where you're producing a lot of mucus you may cough up that mucus and that is your lungs having an immune response it's trapping the bacteria and then causing you the cilia will then move that mucus along back up to the throat. Then we have two structural elements so starting with the smooth muscle. So the smooth muscle um, is important because it's able to contract and allows them to play, allows the lungs to have a little bit of control of um, constricting the airways, therefore controlling the diameter. So as the muscles contract, 
you can make the diameter of the lungs smaller or if they relax make it wider and therefore you can sort of control the flow of air to and from the alveoli if required and then finally you have elastic fibers so these stretch when we exhale and recoil when we inhale again controlling the flow of air now the alveoli are adapted for transport for the following reasons. They're all going to be the same reasons as we are familiar with when we've looked at other exchange surfaces. They are very thin and they are only one cell thick. So that means there's a very short distance for gases to uh, move across the surface. They are surrounded by capillaries which are also only one cell thick. Also re reduces the diffusion pathway for the gases. There's a constant blood supply by the capillaries, which means that there's a steep concentration gradient and that is constantly maintained. And then finally, there's a large number of alveoli, which contributes to a large surface area. So the same reasons as you would expect for any gas surface. So if someone was to ask you, what features would you list would make a good surface for gas exchange? You would say large surface area, maintaining a steep concentration gradient and a, th and a thin um, or short distance for diffusion to occur. It is always those same three reasons. You just need to remember for the specific examples that we are learning about. So for the fish, the insects and also in mammals, how those features relate to those systems specifically. So in this case the capillaries and the alveoli are very thin, only one cell thick, reducing the diffusion uh, distance. There's a constant blood supply by the capillaries maintaining a steep concentration gradient. There's a large number of alveoli meaning there's a big surface area. And again you can see that in the next diagram so you can see oxygen will move into the alveoli, um, so this sac of air essentially. The wall of the alveolus is only one cell thick. The capillary network surrounding the alveolus is plentiful, which means the gradient is being maintained. And that's for two ways, so for the oxygen to move from the um, lungs into the blood and also for carbon dioxide to move from the blood into the alveoli. And then I also want you to familiarise yourself with, as I always say, as many images and as many diagrams as you can get so you don't get thrown off when you see a new type of diagram um, in an exam. So familiarise yourself with different versions of how they may draw the lungs and the tissues in the lungs, etc. Okay, so I think I'm going to stop there for today. But as I said, what we're going to do next week is to start, we're going to look at the process of breathing. So inhaling and exhaling, how all those structures we just learned about come together to regulate our breathing and make for successful gas exchange in the lungs. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can access additional content on our Patreon page by searching for Equity Tutors, where we have a second 30-minute lesson every week, plus monthly bonus content. You can also find us on most social media platforms. We will keep you updated on new content and you can find us there by searching for Equity Tutors UK. 
please like, share, subscribe and comment wherever you are listening. And if you're enjoying, please leave a review. Bye. Bye.